0: Nowadays, uh, the, I think one of the catchphrases that's going around is uh, "Don't go there," you know. It just there's some places that where we have you just don't want to go there. Now that that place that there is is kind of different for for everybody. Uh, I, a bizarre one to me was where Elvis drew his "You don't want to go there," you know. You can do anything you want to do. But don't step on my blue suede shoes, you know. I mean, now, guys, that's bizarre, you know. I mean, the, the last thing that I would care about is you step on my blue suede shoes, and if you all see me or somebody that looks like me in blue suede shoes, there will be somebody that looks like me because I ain't wearing no blue suede shoes. But, you know, in my high school, the the place where you didn't want to go, the, the, the line was you can do anything you want to do, just don't talk about my mom, you know. know i mean it was like the worst thing in the world i mean to tell somebody your mama wear army boots you know or something and now you say that to somebody and say hey yeah cool i mean it's it's trendy for mothers to wear army boots go figure man (laughs) and and in parents parents have got got their little mystical line you know what i'm saying there's a place with parents, and you guys you remember this, but even old folks like me, you remember that your parents had this this mystical place that was called Enough you know and and what, the thing that was weird about that enough gig was it was like it moved you know from from day to day, you know, so you never knew quite where you've hit enough. What would have been great is if your mama would have had like a, a light on the back of her head that would go off just before enough, you know? So you would know, oh, no, 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 I ain't going no further, you know? Well, God, God has a line that He draws that's that's much like that. He, He has a place you don't even want to cross over, a place you don't even want to go to. God draws for us a very distinct line that you don't want to step over, And turn over to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 and you'll see it. We've been studying the book of Revelation for several weeks now and we've made it our way down to verse 8. Um, But what God does for us in, in verse 8 is He lays out what it is that we need to believe about His Son Jesus Christ. And that is that He is God. And that is Jesus' claim in verse 8, where Jesus Himself says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now in one concise statement there, in verse 8, you have what the Bible refers to as sound doctrine concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, if that is a term that you're unfamiliar with, maybe you're a guest with us today, the deity of Christ is the fact that Jesus Christ is deity, that He is God, that He is the one, true, almighty, eternal God, what the Old Testament refers to as Jehovah God. Now, what's scary about that is in the book of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, writing about the very time that we are presently living in, says that this is a time when men will not endure sound doctrine. That's not what they want to come to church to hear. That's not why they come to church. They don't want to be taught sound doctrine. They, they want what the Apostle Paul said in, in, in that chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. They want something that is going to scratch them where they itch. And the truth is, folks, In the days that we're living in, in these last days, people do not itch for truth. They do not itch for sound doctrine. It's like, bore me, man. I mean, come on, give me something that is, uh, like down here, where I live. And you see, and because of that, Paul said that the result in these last days, again, I want to remind you, he was writing about the very time that we're living in, and Paul says, is what is going to happen because men will not endure sound doctrine, is they will heap to themselves teachers having these itching ears, and those teachers will turn them away from the truth. It says, and unto fables. In Second Timothy chapter four, and verse one, it says not only will men be turned unto fables, but it says that men in these last days that we're living in. Men will depart from the faith. they will depart from the sound doctrine that is recorded in this word, giving heed or beginning to listen to seducing spirits. And he says there in Second Timothy chapter four and verse one, that rather than embracing the sound doctrine of the faith, Paul says that in the very time that we're living in, that men will begin to leave the faith and will begin to embrace doctrines of devils. Now, folks, this is a very serious thing. And when you leave the sound doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You have stepped over God's line. I mean it's a whole lot bigger than stepping on blue suede shoes, it's a whole lot bigger than talking about somebody's mama, it's a whole lot better than running out or bigger than running out somebody's patience. And you see that by what God in his word begins to to call people who do not affirm the sound doctrine concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. And let, let's just begin to look at some of the things that God has to say. I mean, you start compiling The list, and what you find is that God directs the most harsh statements in the entire Bible toward those people who do not affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, and this is on your study sheet now, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22, he calls those people who deny the deity of Jesus Christ, he calls them liars. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but where I come from, them's fighting words. You know what I'm saying? You're just out there in the street, buddy, and, and you say something, and somebody says, you're a liar. And you know what? That's all it takes, isn't it? God says, let me, let me just tell you something. You don't believe the correct thing. You don't believe what I say about my son in this book. You know what you are? God says, you are a liar. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is? Christ? God says that is the epitome of a lie right there. Somebody who denies that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament who would come to this earth as God in human flesh. That's what it is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament come to this earth in a human body. God says, you don't believe that. You're a liar. Now, you see, God's a whole lot more dogmatic than me. Because I would never, I would never say that. But God does. God calls you a liar. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, God calls them something else. God calls them false prophets. He says there in verse 1 of 1 John 4, There are many false prophets who are gone out into the world. And he says in verse 3, the way that you can tell them is that they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They may call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, but Jehovah God calls them false prophets. They are in fact Jehovah's false Witnesses. And that's why when we refer to them, we most generally refer to them like that because they are not the witnesses of Jehovah. They are the false witnesses of Jehovah. Not my opinion. God said that. You don't believe that Jesus Christ is God? You're a false prophet. You're a false witness. In Second John, verse 7, God calls them deceivers. And you see, that's why you got to be so careful, folks, because they are very deceptive. You see, that's why we've taken the time to cover this ground because they're deceivers. They're extremely deceptive. They try to make you think that they have a high view of Jesus Christ and and what they are trained to do when they come to your door is they are trained to accentuate all the things that they know that you will agree with them about concerning Jesus Christ. And boy, you just start listening to all this stuff and you know what? They'll tell you a whole lot of stuff that you believe, stuff that just makes Jesus Christ sound absolutely wonderful. But folks, it doesn't matter how high of a view you hold about Jesus Christ, if you believe that He is anything less than Jehovah God, your view, God says, is so low that it is right out of the pit of hell. And if if you agree with the next 99 things out of 100 concerning Jesus Christ but you don't believe that He is Jehovah God, you are not 1% wrong, you are 100% wrong. You missed that one, and you have missed it all. God says, you're wrong, you're a liar, you're a false prophet, you're a deceiver. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, God gives them another name. He calls them Antichrist. You know what the Bible says about Antichrist. In fact, in Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse eight, it calls him that wicked. In other words, the Antichrist is the personification of wickedness. I mean, you look up wicked in God's dictionary, and God's got a picture of the Antichrist sitting there. He is that wicked. But along with him, if you look in the background, is every other person who does not believe that Jesus Christ is God. God says. They're all antichrists. Antichrist. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, God calls them something else. He calls them seducers. And again, it's the idea of their deception. They're trying to seduce you. They're trying to entice you. They're trying to move you away from the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ that is recorded in this book. And God said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 that all through the church age listen seducers will get worse and worse and will become more and more prevalent so you've got to understand that they are seducers and God says it ain't going to get any better it is just going to continuously get worse in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 it lets us know most assuredly they are not of God. Yeah, they'll name His name a lot. And they are going to be very zealous people. I'm not trying to be offensive, but they're a whole lot more zealous than anybody present party included in this room. Right? Oh man, they'll talk about Him a lot. They've got all kinds of zeal. And you know what? They'll, they'll receive persecution gladly. And they'll be real wonderful people, you know, as far as humans are concerned. And you know, you may be tempted to say, well, you know, there's so much that we agree on. It's just this really this this one area, and at least we do agree about God the Father. First John four three says, Hey, save it. They are not of God. Not in any way, shape, or form. In fact, in first John chapter two, verse twenty-two says. You deny the Son, and you deny the Father. Do you understand that? There's no such thing as having sound doctrine concerning the Father without having sound doctrine concerning the Son. That's what God says. You messed up on this doctrine, and you messed up the whole kit and caboodle. Now, there's one other one that I want you to see that's not listed on your study sheet. And and I think that this is important for you to, to see what God calls them in the book of Titus you'll just go back to the left there we we mentioned this a lot we, we got so many people who are new to the bible and we want you to be able to see things there but in the new testament anytime you find a book that begins with t they're all in there together okay so if you find a timothy or a thessalonians or something like that you'll know you're real close to the to the book of titus and look in titus chapter 5, what what the context is here is is Paul writing to Titus, telling him about those who will take leadership in the church. And he begins along with this list, uh, the one that's in, what did I do? Say what now? Now, chapter 1, verse 5. You know what I like about you guys? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, can't you read my mind? <laughs> Titus chapter one and verse verse five. Well, we can have fun with that. Hey, it's right. It's in my Bible. <laughs> but, but he's talking about ordaining elders, the leadership in in, in the church, and he begins to give. A list of qualifications. Now, Pastor Frank has is, is taught us on Sunday nights about the qualifications for leadership. The thing that you need to understand is that these qualifications are not something that just the elite are supposed to have. What these are, these are what every believer have been commanded by God to possess these qualities in your life. Now what God says is when it comes to the position of leadership in the church. If they don't have these qualities, they don't qualify. Okay? But but don't 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 put this into some elite group. All of us are to possess these qualities. And, and he begins to list these things in verses six and seven, verse eight, now look at verse nine. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And that's the other word that I wanted to just add to your list, but I, I purposely let it, left this one off because I wanted to just talk to you about this one. Folks, there's a lot of gainsayers. The word gainsayer, it means somebody who is opposing. okay? Somebody who is opposing sound doctrine. This is exactly what we're talking about when it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ. There are many gainsayers in our time. And he is saying here that where we all must come to is we must be able to take this book as it has been handed to us and by the sound doctrine of this book we are to be able to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Look at verse 11. Talking about these gainsayers whose mouths must be stopped. But you know what's a shame? What is a crying shame? Is that the gainsayers in the last days shut the mouths of God's people. And We're talking about the most important doctrine in the Bible. We're talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. And before we began this study, you know it's true. Most of us did not pass the little quiz that I gave as I became a gainsayer in this service and just began to hammer away at the deity of Jesus Christ and you know where we all were? Not knowing just what it is that we need to say. Not knowing how to take the book. Not knowing how to be able to get in there and with sound, the sound teaching, the sound doctrine of this book, be able to shut the mouths of the gainsayers. And the whole reason that we're on this, the reason we're purposely hitting Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 when he hits this doctrine, and we're just kind of clearing off this little area right here, is because the whole book of Revelation has been written to reveal Jesus Christ. And when you reveal Jesus Christ for who he really is, he is none other than Jehovah God. And we need to be able to get to the point to where we can take this book and we can shut people's mouths with it. Not so we can... because this is the word of truth, and, and so I, I want to encourage you again, and we 're going to start going through th- this thing, and i I want to ask you, take the study sheet from the last several weeks and find a way to get those things plugged into your bible I, 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 hey, go anywhere you want to we're not going you know, i 'm not trying to push anything from our bookstore. I would encourage you somewhere along the way from mother 's day father 's Day, Christmas, whatever you celebrate ask for a, a wide margin Bible, get a good one, one that's going to last you, and get into your, get into your toolbox everything that you're going to need so that you've got everything right there at a moment's notice so that you can use the, the sound doctrine of this book effectively. So we're going to start working through, through this thing. Uh, we, we talked also, uh, look on your study sheet. I, and I, I hope that through that list that we just went through, of all of these things that God calls these people who do not affirm the deity of Jesus Christ, I, I hope that you understand how strongly He feels about that thing. And part of the reason is the source that is at work behind Him. God knows where this teaching comes from, and He knows that it did not come from man. It doesn't originate in man's brain. He says repeatedly in the New Testament, that there is a spirit that is operating behind the human false prophets or the false teachers. A spirit that 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6, excuse me, calls the spirit of error. The spirit of error. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 calls it a seducing spirit. And 1 Timothy 4 1 also says that it is actually devils. And of course, the spirit of error, this seducing spirit, these, these devils are all working under the control and the direction of the devil himself. And folks, that's why this is such a big thing to God. This is not, as we've been saying, it's not just the distorted doctrines of men that we're dealing with when it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ. He is saying there is a spirit that is satanic that is working behind this thing and you know what you know, what 's really interesting is that there are six times in the New Testament where the Bible records that the deity of Christ was called into question, and God records these places for us and, and what I love about this it, it just to me it 's almost comical it 's almost like if, if god 's going to record somebody questioning the deity, he is going to find a way right there in that passage to somehow Affirm the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And you'll notice on your on your study sheet there, there, there's supposed to be two columns. I forgot to put the line right through the middle, so why don't you just, everybody, why don't we just do that right there, making two columns? You can see where it's supposed to go. And on the left side, this is where Christ deity is questioned. Christ deity questioned. And then on the right, the column will be Christ Deity questioned. Affirmed. And I wanted us to be able to walk through these, but we're not going to have time to do it. Let me just most of you will be familiar with, with these places, but I just want you to see. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, Satan is there, and he is speaking directly to Christ, and he says, If thou be the Son of God. Okay, do you see the question there? If thou be the Son of God, and what you gotta love is the verse. Right, previous, just four verses away, God has already because He knew exactly where Jesus was going. He was going out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He knew that, and so right there in that very passage, God affirms for you in Matthew chapter three and verse seventeen, "This is my beloved Son; this is the Son of God." In John chapter ten and verse twenty-four, the Jews have gathered around and they say, "If thou be The Christ, and in that very passage, John chapter 10 verse 36, Jesus says, I am the Son of God. At the crucifixion, the soldiers say, If thou be the King, Pilate's sign says in Luke 23 and verse 37, very verse, this is the King. The revilers at the cross, all of the people who had gathered there, they, they scream out to the Lord in Matthew 27, verses 39 and 40, If thou be the Son of God. And right in that very same passage, the centurion affirms, truly, this was the Son of God. Matthew 27, verse 54. On the cross, there was the thief. Thief number one. He says, he hollers over to Christ, If thou be Christ." in Luke 23:39 and in Luke 23:40 the other thief says dost not thou fear god don't you understand don't you understand who this is this is god and of course in John chapter 20 and verse 25 doubting thomas he says hey amen except i see the nail prints in his in his hands and you know put my finger into his side I will not believe. And just as soon as he has said that, the Lord appears and Thomas says, what? My Lord and my God. Six times it's called into question. Six times in those very same passages, God says, hey, I want you to remember, don't ever forget, He's my Son. And He is God. Now, We're going to pick up where we left off last time. For those of you who weren't here, and just as a brief reminder, because we're going to play off of this again, we talked about some basic understandings that if we're going to enter into this whole arena of taking the Bible and by sound doctrine, shutting the mouths of the gainstayers, there are some things that we need to understand together. One of the key things you need to understand is that there are three Hebrew names that are ascribed to God in the Old Testament. You see them listed on your study sheet. Jehovah... Elohim and Adonai. Now, the important thing for you to see is we just kind of collect our thoughts this morning. This is not real deep, so just listen very carefully. The term Jehovah is a term that is used in the Bible to speak of only the true God. Only the true God gets the name Jehovah, whereas the name Elohim and Adonai sometimes those words are used in reference to other gods, the gods of this world sometimes, human masters, and or great people, mighty people, these kind of things. But the term Jehovah is an exclusive term. It is used only to refer to the one true God. And You can notice on your study sheet there that the English translators of the King James Bible have helped us to know what Hebrew word we're dealing with, not from going to college and spending eight years trying to study Hebrew, but just from looking at the English language and looking at how they delineated the various words. And you'll notice that it's not just a typographical thing, uh, error or or whatever, but you'll notice that the term Jehovah, when it is used in Scripture, it is a capital L with smaller capitals, O-R-D, and you can look down that list and see the various distinctions there. Okay, Now that's important for us as we begin to go to the Word of God and begin to to try to use it to teach that Jesus Christ is the one true God of the Bible, Jehovah God. And We look first of all at the fact that the Old Testament predicted a divine Savior would come. We looked in Psalm 2 and we saw how that in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, Paul used the second Psalm as he was in the midst of preaching a message concerning the fact that Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah of God and Psalm 2 affirms the fact that there would be a divine Savior who would come to this planet in Psalm 110 again it affirms that same truth Jesus used Psalm 110 in Matthew chapter 22 verses 41 to 46 to affirm to those people the fact that he was indeed the Messiah the promised one that the Old Testament predicted who would come? The Old Testament predicted that God would come to this planet as a Savior. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it's the prophecy of the fact that there would be a virgin who would conceive, and the child who would be born of this virgin would be called Emmanuel, whose name means what? God with us. He is God. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Talking about this one coming from this virgin, it says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. This child who would come and be born of this virgin is the Mighty God. He is the Everlasting Father. And Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says that he will be born in Bethlehem, but it says that though he was born in Bethlehem, it would not be his beginning. It says in that verse, His goings forth have been from old, and not just from old, but from, you remember, everlasting. And then number two, the Bible specifically refers to Jesus Christ as Jehovah. Now you see, if you use the the first arguments, even though they are as clear as a bell to us, you're still going to have some well-trained guy who's going to say, but you know what? It still did not specifically say that Jesus Christ is Jehovah, okay? Well, the Bible specifically refers to Jesus Christ as Jehovah. And folks, now this is an argument that is irrefutable. If you can show them that Jesus Christ is Jehovah, end of story. I mean, their whole theology, their whole teaching is built on that one thing, that Jesus Christ is, is something less than Jehovah God. Okay, and we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5 where Je- Isaiah is caught up to the throne room of God, and he sees Jehovah. And it's clearly laid out in Isaiah 6 and verse 5 that he saw Jehovah. But when you come to the New Testament, in John chapter 12 and verse 41, what you find out, it says, and it quotes that verse in Isaiah, and it says that what Isaiah saw was the glory of Jesus Christ, and he spoke or he wrote of Christ. Jehovah here... Christ was the fulfillment. In Isaiah chapter forty and verse three, it talked about the fact that John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jehovah. And then you come to Matthew chapter three, verses one through three, and you find out that John the Baptist was paving the way for who? For Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah chapter twenty-three, verses five and six, it talks about Christ and how he will be the son of David, and it calls him. Jehovah, our righteousness. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, it it prophesies and it says this, that whosoever shall call upon the name of Jehovah shall be saved. And you find in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21 that Peter quotes that verse, Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, Peter quotes it on the day of Pentecost in reference to Jesus Christ. And if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter ten and verse thirteen. Again, that if you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Again, reference clearly in the Old Testament, that it is fulfilled in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll pick up here this morning, turn back to the book of Zechariah, chapter twelve. And we're, okay, these are more places where the Bible specifically refers to Jesus Christ as Jehovah. If you're struggling for Zechariah, it's the next to the last book of the Old Testament, if maybe you're not familiar. Zechariah chapter 12. And you'll notice in chapter 12 and verse 1 that in the context, Jehovah is speaking. Verse 1 says, the burden of the word of the lord now do you notice the spelling there for those of you that may not have been here last week because we took a little more time to cover that that's that word jehovah the, the one true god the burden of the word of jehovah for israel you see it again in verse four in that day saith the lord or saith jehovah so jehovah is doing the speaking here and now drop down to the prophecy in verse 10 and i okay now who is i Talk to me. Jehovah, right? And I, Jehovah, will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And watch this now. And they shall look upon me. And who's the me in the context? Jehovah, right? And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And there's absolutely no question. Turn over to John chapter 19. It's just six books to your right. We're not far from it. John chapter 19. And of course, John chapter 19 records for us the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is what Pastor Frank brought our our young people through this past week. Did it just a Unbelievable job of walking us through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was it was powerful, and man, I, I was blessed to be there myself, and I, I know that our kids were. And that's what John 19 is all about. Let's pick up in verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. Okay, that is with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And there it is; they pierced him. Someone says, "Well, yeah, they pierced him," but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what Jehovah was was prophesying through Zechariah back there. We'll keep reading, verse thirty-five. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he's that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done. Okay, what things? The not breaking the legs and, and piercing his side. These things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. And here he quotes Psalm thirty-four twenty: "A bone of him shall not be broken." Verse thirty-seven. And again, another scripture saith, and this is what we just read in Zechariah chapter twelve and verse ten: "They shall look on him whom they." Pierced, And Zechariah is clear that who would be pierced in fulfillment of the prophecy is Jehovah. And here God tells you that the prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Do you get the picture? Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Okay, turn back to the book of Zechariah, and let me give you another one. This time, chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Okay, The day of who? Jehovah, right? The day of Jehovah cometh. In verse 3. Then shall the Lord, Jehovah, go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought on the day of battle. And His feet, Okay, now whose feet are we talking about here? Jehovah's feet, right? And his feet, Jehovah's feet, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Verse 5, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah and the Lord Jehovah and Jehovah my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Now folks, verses 4 and 5 are clearly referring to something Jehovah is going to do. But there is no question whatsoever in anybody's mind who or what is going to fulfill this prophecy. This is all in reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ confirmed this Himself in Matthew chapter 24. Do you remember in Matthew 24? He sat down right on the Mount of Olives that Zechariah is prophesying here. And what Jesus is doing right from the very location where His foot is going to come back when He comes at His second coming, and He is sitting in that very place teaching them about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, That is going to be fulfilled. This prophecy of Jehovah is going to be fulfilled in none other than Jesus Christ. And if you still have a question about that, in Jude, Jude confirms it as well. In Jude verse 14, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. He talked about Jesus coming to this earth at His second coming with ten thousands of his saints okay and here's the point Zechariah says it's going to be jehovah coming to the mount of olives with his saints and when the prophecy is fulfilled it is going to be fulfilled by jesus christ he is coming with his saints to the mount of olives and of course the reason that it, he is the fulfillment is because jesus christ is jehovah and then let me take you back to the book of deuteronomy Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. Another place where the Bible specifically refers to Jesus Christ as Jehovah. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And look with me at verse 17. For the Lord, Jehovah, your God, is God. Of gods, and watch this now, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible or or awesome, okay, and note, Jehovah is specifically identified here as the Lord of lords. Now turn to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. In the context Of Revelation 17, of course, is the tribulation period when the ten-nation confederacy under the, the direction of the Antichrist gathers together and watch what verse 14 says. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. And of course, all through the book of Revelation and even in the Gospel of John, the Lamb is clearly the Lord Jesus Christ, and watch why it says the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Deuteronomy 10.17 says Jehovah is Lord of lords. And Revelation 17.10 says the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Lord of lords again because Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Jehovah. But not only did the Old Testament predict that a divine Savior would come to this planet, and not only does the Bible specifically refer to Jesus Christ as Jehovah, but number three on your outline, the titles reserved only for Jehovah are applied to Jesus Christ. The titles in the Bible reserved only for Jehovah are applied to... To Jesus Christ. And before we get into these, I want you to notice the emphasis there on that on Roman numeral number three on the word only. And I want to make sure that you understand that it's not that I'm saying that these titles are only reserved for Jehovah. What you're going to see is I begin to take you through each one of these, these verses. Now listen, every one of them I'm going to show you. God is going to tell you that this is something that is only true of Jehovah. I mean, you'll read it right in the text where it says this title is only used of Jehovah. Okay, it's an exclusive thing. Okay, so now listen. If it's only true of Jehovah, but it's true of Jesus Christ, then their argument's done. Okay, so let's watch this thing. Letter A on your outline. Only creator. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. (laughs) You know, I just, I love our people, man. They, somebody's evidently needing to feed their baby, and well, you know what? I might as well go and get in the back there and listen to the message, you know? I, I love it. Jesus, some of you know a baby's crying up here, and, and it's cool. Hey, we, we like it. Go for it. Every once in a while, it's okay. Most of the time, it's not. Isaiah chapter 44, and look at verse 24. Thus saith the Lord. And I don't. I I, I want to. I have to emphasize that every time, so you, you you're reminded and jolted that we're talking about the one true God, Jehovah, thy redeemer. And He that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah, that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens. Alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth, by myself. Now, I I don't know how God can make it any clearer than that. It was He, Jehovah, who made all things, and He said, I did it alone. I did it by Myself. There were no angels involved. There were no sub-gods. There were no lesser gods. There were no other created beings whatsoever. Jehovah and Jehovah alone, right? Hello? Okay. Now turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, of course, we know who the Word is, right? Verse 14 lets us know that it is Jesus Christ because the Word is the part of the Godhead that was made flesh and dwelt among us. No doubt about that. God in human flesh. Verse 2. The same... Okay, now, what is the subject of verse 1? The Word. The same... Okay, the Word was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made by Him. Who? The Word, Jesus. And without Him was not anything made that was made. You see that? Isaiah 44, tells you that it was Jehovah, and not that it was just Jehovah, it was Jehovah alone who made all things. John 1, 3 tells you Jeho- who Jehovah is. It's Jesus. Because Jesus alone is the one who, who made all things and Colossians 1:16 affirms that same truth Colossians 1:16 says for by him Jesus were all things created Number 2 letter B Not only is Jehovah the only creator but Jehovah is the only rock and turn back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 Hey, God has got such an incredible book, doesn't he? I mean, it lines up if you'll just let it, if you'll let it be the Bible. But if you, hey, if you want something false, like we saw last week from Ezekiel 14, hey, if you don't want Jesus Christ to be God, hey, just come to this book and don't believe that he is, and you'll get exactly what you're looking for. And you'll get it right from God. That's Ezekiel chapter 14. But if you'll just let the Bible be the Bible, it, it cannot be any clearer. I mean, we, we could stop right now, but we, we're not, okay? We, we want, I want to give you the full meal deal and make sure that you've got all the ammo that you need and we'll just hammer this thing. Okay, Deuteronomy 32 are the words of a song that Moses spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, in verse 3, he sings, I will publish the name of the Lord, Jehovah. And Note now that song is about jehovah ascribe ye greatness unto our god he is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment a god of truth and without iniquity just and right is he and now drop down to verse 12 and you'll notice that verse 9 moses starts singing about that the nation of israel represented in jacob and verse 12 says so the lord jehovah and we just saw he is the rock and check out the the next word, alone did lead him. That is Jacob. And Moses lets us know, Jehovah is the rock, and Jehovah alone is the rock. Now, if you think that's stretching it, then no problem. Let's go over to Second Samuel chapter 22. If you doubt that that's what he was talking about, that he alone is the rock, 2 Samuel 22. And and strangely enough, you know what 2 Samuel 22 is about? It's David singing a song. Deuteronomy 32, Moses is singing a song. And now here it is, 2 Samuel, David is in the midst of a song as well, and his song is about Jehovah. Look at verse 1. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said... The Lord, who is he? Jehovah is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So David identifies Jehovah as the rock. And drop down to see what he says in verse 32. For who is God save or accept the Lord? Check it out now. Who is a rock save our God? You see that? David not only identifies Jehovah as the rock, but the only rock. Okay? The only rock. Same thing that Moses said. And now come over to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, Paul is, is recounting the working of God in the Old Testament. When, verse 2, our fathers were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And verse 3, Did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And here it is. And that rock was Christ. The Old Testament said Jehovah is the only rock. And 1 Corinthians 10, 4 tells you who the rock is. It is Jesus Jehovah God. Let us see. Jehovah is not only the only creator, the only rock. Jehovah is the only Savior. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, and we'll pick up in verse... 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith Jehovah. Okay? These are the true Jehovah's witnesses that he's writing about here. Okay? My servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. neither shall there be after me. And God goes into the, the exclusiveness of Himself, and He continues it in verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord. I am Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. I'm it. There's only one Jehovah, and Jehovah is the only Savior. Now that's clearly established, right? The only Savior is Jehovah. Now turn over to Titus chapter 2. Man, don't you wish you had this about 20 years ago? Well, I, I did. Amen, Brother Mark. Titus chapter 2, and look, look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there you have Jesus Christ clearly identified as the great God and the recipient of the title Savior, that is reserved only for Jehovah God because that is in fact who He is. And make your way over to the right about four books. The book of Second Peter. Really just a, a few pages. Second Peter, look at verse 1. 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God... And our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Two titles reserved only for Jehovah. Who is a God but Jehovah? And who is a Savior but Jehovah? There's none beside me. And here comes Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of both. And we can hit these others real quick. Don't don't spaz on the time. We're, We're almost done. Not only are titles reserved only for Jehovah applied to Jesus Christ, but number four in your outline, the attributes that are characteristic only. Okay, here we're going to see this only thing in all of these verses again. I mean, you just got to love it. I mean, God is making it so clear for us. The attributes that are characteristic only of Jehovah are characteristic of Jesus Christ. Letter A. Jehovah alone knows hearts. And turn back to the book of First Kings, chapter eight. First Kings, chapter eight. Y'all still awake? You getting yourself equipped this morning, I hope. Okay, 1 Kings, chapter eight. And let's let's set the context beginning in verse twenty-two. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And in verse 23, he begins to pray. And he said, Lord God of Israel, Jehovah Elohim, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath. Who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. And now drop down to verse 39. He's still praying now to Jehovah God, the one true God. Then hear, verse 39, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways. And watch this now. Whose heart thou knowest for thou Even thou only knowest the hearts of all the children of men. Now, do you see that? Only the one true God, only Jehovah God, possesses the attribute of knowing what's in man's heart. Is that clear to you? That's exactly what he says. Now, turn over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, some, some men have brought a man sick of the palsy to, to Jesus in somewhat of a bizarre way. Uh, he, he, he can't walk, so four of these men are carrying him. They get there. There's so many people in the room, they can't get in, so they bring him down through the roof. Okay, And verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, watch this, and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? You see, this is what's going on inside them, in, the, in their heart. Who can forgive sins but God only? And are right about that. Amen? Verse 8, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned, Within themselves he said unto them, Why reason reason ye these things in your hearts? Check it out. Jesus knows what only Jehovah knows. He knows what's in man's heart. So if only Jehovah knows and Jesus knows, then who is Jesus? He is Jehovah. Amen. And let's look at the second thing, letter B. Jehovah is the only eternal God. And Go back to Isaiah. Once again, Isaiah 44. <clears throat> Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, okay, Jehovah, The King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Now, some of you are reading right past that, aren't you? Check it out. A differentiation between Jehovah and His Redeemer, Jehovah. You see, this is what we've been seeing all morning, isn't it? Is God the Father Jehovah? Hello? Yeah? Is Jesus Jehovah? Okay, that's the point. And watch this characteristic of Jehovah. I am the first and the last. Now, how many firsts are there? There's only one, okay? I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. You see, there's only, what he's saying here, there's only one eternal God who is the first and the last In other words, that attribute is true only of Jehovah God. But now turn to Revelation chapter 1 for a second, which one of these years we will actually study. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1, and you'll notice in verse 10 that John hears a voice, and he goes on in the passage to tell us that it was the voice of Jesus Christ that he heard. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 11. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, what? the first and the last. And check it out in chapter 2 and verse 8. These things saith the first and the last. And make your way all the way over to the last chapter, chapter 22, and verse 13. I am Alpha. And Omega. I am Jesus, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Isaiah 44, 6 says there is only one eternal God who can make that claim, and it's Jehovah. And yet, Jesus repeatedly makes that claim. Again, because he is Jehovah God, the eternal God who is the first and the last. And then let me just show you one, one other one under this point. Letter C. Glory belongs to Jehovah alone. Glory belongs to Jehovah alone. And again, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. and Let's pick up in verse 8. I am the Lord, Jehovah. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. Okay? So check out what he says. Glory belongs to Jehovah alone, to no other. It is His alone. And now go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1. Watch what John says in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now we know who the Word is. It's God. Verse 1. And the Word is Jesus Christ. And we beheld what? His glory. Not just His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now folks, if Jesus isn't Jehovah, then answer me, where did He get His glory? Because Jehovah said in Isaiah 42 and verse 8 that glory was His alone and that He would not give it to any other and here is Jesus showing up with it. And He did because He is Jehovah. God. Someone says, "Yeah, but you know." But look right there. Look, look, look at verse fourteen again. See right there. It says that Jesus was begotten of the Father. Just make sure you keep reading because verse eighteen lets you know that He wasn't begotten as a God. Verses one and two already lets us know that He has always been God, but He was begotten at a certain point in time in Bethlehem as a what? As a son. And Hebrews 1.5 also makes that point very clear. It said, The Father said to His Son, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. Jesus Christ was never begotten as a God. And, And again, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody that's holding a different type of version. But some of you folks who are holding other versions, you ought to look at verse 18. And if it says that Jesus was a begotten God, Buddy, I'll just tell you this. I'm just glad I'm not going to be standing on your front porch when the Jehovah's Witnesses come and tell you that He was a begotten God. He was a begotten Son. There came a day when Jesus Christ entered this planet as a Son, but He was never begotten as a God. He has always been God. And what you've got in some, in fact, the most popular, I think, version right now, says that He is a begotten God in John chapter 1 and verse 18. And turn over to John 17 for just a sec. And John 17 is what we call the, the high priestly prayer where Jesus is, is praying to the Father. And He says in verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self. Now how in the world is this going to happen? Because we already saw in Isaiah, God does not share that glory with anybody. And here's Jesus. Father, glorify Thou Me with Thine own self... Now watch this. ...with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. In other words, glorify Me with the glory that has always been Mine. And again, the point is, if glory belongs to Jehovah alone and He clearly said that He wouldn't give it to any other, you got to answer how it is that Jesus Christ shared the glory of the Father before He was begotten as a Son and why it is that Jesus was expecting to share that same glory when He shed this earth suit and He was seated at the right hand of God in majesty and glory. He was expecting that. He was asking that because it was His And we'll see this next week in Philippians chapter 2. He, though he was God, and in the form of God, he was made, what? Flesh of man. Okay, And it was set aside. And we'll pick up there next week on this thing of proving the deity of Jesus Christ. But you know what, man? I don't know if you're having fun, but this is, man, this is like uh, Disney World to me. I mean, this is, this is just absolutely fun to just watch the Word of God do its thing. Jesus Christ is the one true God. And for some of you folks that are here today, I, I don't know where you are with this whole thing of God and all of that, but I will tell you this. The book of Revelation is going to disclose to us, and in fact it already has in the previous weeks as we've been studying it, the fact that we are living in the last days. The Bible talks about the fact that when Jesus Christ comes back to this planet, all those that have not received Jesus Christ are in for a very, very rude awakening. We see nice pictures of a fairy tale Jesus, you know, meek and mellow and all of that. And He did come to this planet as the Lamb of God to take our sin. But when He comes back to this planet, He is coming back to take judgment. And you know what? That's not a real popular message, and it's not a real you know good sales pitch for anything. But you know what? You don't need a sales pitch right now. Because if we're living in the last days, guys, and Jehovah God is about to enter this planet again in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that know not God, you don't need me or anybody else to just pat you on the head and say it's all going to turn out all right in the end, because it ain't. You've got to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I, I, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a mind-boggling thing to me. The, the message that I preached today was not necessarily a salvation message. You know what it was? It was simply proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. And the, Jesus himself said, If I be high and lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And I believe through the foolishness of preaching, just like the Bible says, And men will be saved. And some of you folks have been listening today as Jesus Christ has been lifted up to His rightful place as Jehovah God. And I know that as that's been happening, that for some of you, Jehovah God, by His Spirit, has been taking this truth to your heart and letting you know, you know what? The reason you're sitting in this room today is so that you might meet the one true God and that He might become your Savior. And that invitation is open to you today if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ